Hey friends, have you ever walked through one of those seasons where it seems like nothing is working out, where you're not being very effective, you feel like the things you are doing might not be appreciated, you feel kind of powerless to make the level of change that feels like you're making impact, you feel kind of useless. In moments like that, it's really important for us to remember who God is. On the podcast today, we're going to be looking at another one of the Advent names of Jesus, Everlasting Father. I'm Justin here along with Tim. The Quiet Reformation is a small part of the ministry of Netzer. We help to equip and encourage the people of God to know that they are not alone and that God's household has plenty of wisdom to go around. For the next couple episodes, we're taking time to look at the arrival of Jesus on the scene of humanity and how his names speak to us when we feel lonely, lost, anxious, unappreciated, and angry. We are a 501c3 supporter-funded ministry. Please visit netzer.org connect to donate today. Today we're in part four of our series as we're thinking about the names of Jesus, the names of God through Advent, linking it back to the text in Isaiah. We've covered Emmanuel, which means God with us. We've done Wonderful Counselor. We've done Mighty God, and we are at Everlasting Father. One cool thing, Tim, that happened recently is that I went hunting for the first time. Wow. Not all of our listeners may be hunters. That's okay because I'm not a hunter. My dad has always been, you know, the end of the year in the fall goes away for a week to Virginia, a week upstate to, to go hunting. And at a men's ministry event at the church that I serve earlier this year, it just struck me like, you know what? Before I get too old, before my dad gets too old, I wanted to spend some time with him in his natural environment, so to speak. You know, I'm a 43-year-old man and I had to take the the hunting safety course for the first time. Nice. Luckily, yeah. luckily I did it on online. Was it like, it, it, was it on a Zoom where you could see everybody else who was in it? No, or? absolutely not. It was just one of those things that you had to go through the coursework and you had to take a test, uh, but I did it. And so we went, we went out this past uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it was just great to hang out with my dad in a way that I've never done before. Mm. And it was kind of, it was on his turf walking with him in the woods in the cold, being quiet, sitting for hours on end. And we weren't even together that whole time. But even when I wasn't with him, I knew he was around. And I knew that the reason I was there, even though I was had a purpose, was also like, I'm just here to hang out with dad too and see what my dad likes to do. That's really cool. Relationships with dads, they can be really complicated. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's very rare that a relationship with a dad is not complicated. It's kind of loaded. It's just, it's, there's a lot of emotion loaded into it and there's expectations put on fathers and there's a lot of expectations from fathers put on kids. And I think those relationships have always been really interesting ones, particularly when it comes to us understanding like who we are. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard sometimes in those kind of relationships to just sit and enjoy the relationship, Yeah, you know, and especially like dads tend to have a lot going on. 
my dad uh, had a very 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 busy career and he would but there was a, a few things that he carved out just to really spend time with me i was uh, i had an older brother and older sister and i i was pretty far behind them so by the time i came around he was full on in the middle of everything but he carved out significant time to be at my games and to you know he was actually the scout master but i remember on vacations we would go to the jersey shore he would build and at the time i didn't realize how much how difficult this would be for him you know to just take the time to do this but he would build what he called a ball roller which is like a huge mountainous hand and then would take a little paddle ball which is kind of smaller than a racquetball and would make all these like trails down through the mountain and tunnels and bridges and all this stuff and make this like intricate thing and it would take like most of the day to do it and was he an engineer by any chance he was an engineer yes yeah and it would be this project we work on you know and then the tide comes in and it washes the whole thing away <laughs> and uh, that feels like parenting to me yeah exactly yeah and interestingly i then ended up doing that with my kids i remember at times the thought of is this really quality time is this time you know well spent but I, you look back at those moments and whether you're out hunting in the woods or whether you were building castles in the sand or whatever and you realize man none of that time is wasted time between a father and his children and his children and his father that is important important time and it shapes us in ways that uh, it's really hard to quantify Before we jump into the text of Luke 1, looking at verses 57 to 66 in the story of Zechariah, I wanted to ask you, Tim, to talk a little bit about the fact that the Messiah, one of his names is Everlasting Father, and the Messiah we're talking about is Jesus, who we know as the Son of God, or God's Son, or God the Son. And so there is definitely this weird tension, just like, you know, last week when we talked about Mighty God. Oh, but Jesus came as a baby. So again, there's this there's this tension or maybe this paradox that's in here. Yeah, it touches on at least two theological points. The first one, I think, is the most obvious one, which is the doctrine of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit are unique from one another and yet are one. And of course, it's that thing that we can't understand very easily or comprehend, but we are supposed to model in, in many ways that Christ made us as a autobiographical work to reveal the oneness of God uh, amidst the diversity of the different parts of the Trinity. So it's important that we hold on to that doctrine. And this, the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, but also can be referred to as the everlasting Father, is again scratching at that great mystery of the Trinity. There's one other thing, too, though, that it touches on, which is that when we look back at Abraham, we call Abraham Father Abraham, you know, and he he was the father of many nations. And we look back at Adam as the father of all, you know, and 
when we look at Jesus, he's the firstborn among the dead. He's the new Adam. He's uh, the firstborn of the new creation. And so all of us who have spiritual rebirth find that birth because of Jesus. So our everlasting life comes because we are in the direct lineage spiritually of Christ. Let's then jump over to Luke chapter one. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what they would like to name the child because he was not speaking at the time. He was currently mute because of the angel and because of not quite believing. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with all and throughout the hill country of Judea, People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. All right, let's take a look at the backstory that leads to this moment with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was old in age, and we're told in this story that he and Elizabeth, they're righteous people. I mean, they, they've been serving the Lord. They've been living faithfully. But Zechariah has experienced some real struggle in his life. And here's probably the biggest struggle is that if you are a person who takes any pride in what you do, you know that feeling of tension when you look around and you say, man, I don't think I'm being productive enough. I'm not seeing enough impact from what I'm doing. I'm not making enough money or making enough uh, change in my community or, uh, you know, building the business fast enough or seeing my kids do as well as they should be. Anytime that we try to measure our own success by the fruit around us and we feel like it's coming up short, there's a real question that can happen inside of us that says, am I okay? Am I doing a good job? And for Zachariah, there's a whole backstory from the Old Testament, from the people of God about what is fruitfulness? What shows the value of being a real man? You know, and one of the biggest things you see from Abraham on, at least even back to Adam, this is the command from God to Adam to that we're to go forth and multiply and spread across the earth. That the great promise to Abraham was that he would have a mighty nation coming from him, and the the blessing of God is to see uh, the your kids, uh, having kids, seeing them raised up and uh, seeing your name multiplied through them. And Zechariah, who's a faithful follower of God, has no kids. And that barrenness is, it's, it's kind of like giving all of yourself to a business your whole life and never seeing it make a dime. You know, it's like, you got to be kidding me, man. I feel like such a failure. What's more is, is as a priest, there's a, a special privilege that's given to the priests when they come on duty that one gets to go in and offer the prayer in the temple. And year after year, moment after moment, he, he would come down e either every six months or every two years 
and never once has have the lots fallen to him and he being chosen to be the one to go in front of the altar and offer the prayer to God. And in one day, everything about Zachariah's life changes. He gets picked to be the the priest to go into the temple and to offer the the prayer before God. And as he's praying in front of the altar, an angel shows up above the altar and says, I've answered your prayer, the very prayer he's praying. I'm going to bring redemption to the people of God. The Messiah is coming and your son, that means you're going to have a kid, is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. All of the disappointment, all of the discouragement, all the sense of uselessness and failure that he's been feeling, the fruitlessness that he's been feeling, he's confronted with that in the moment when way more than he could have ever hoped for is answered in a moment. And Zechariah has a very hard time receiving that from God because he's wanted it so bad that he's had to shut his heart down from disappointment and is unwilling to have faith to receive the fact that God might be offering him a moment of fruitfulness. And so because of that, he doesn't believe what God says. And that's why he's not talking in this story that we have, because it's been nine months since God told him to zip it and kind of shut his mouth and told him, next time I say something to you, you maybe you'll think about it, you know, kind of thing. And I love the fact that this What's been happening in the background of this story is that Zechariah, who's a great man, has actually been disciplined by his father. And this is an old man who's being disciplined by his dad for his lack of faith. So by the time we get to this part of the story, Zechariah has been sitting there realizing God wanted to bless him and his heart was too hard to receive the blessing of God. But by now, he's received the blessing of God, has yielded to God's authority. And so he names his son, not after himself, which would have been great, but instead he gives him the name that God had for him, which is Yahweh is gracious, John. What is actually the true heart of fathering? What is the, the 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 redemptive spirit behind fathering? What is the makeup of that? Because there's so many different ways that we've been negatively fathered and we've reacted to hurtful fathers or passive fathers. Like what are one or two or three things that actually come together that display the core of what fathering means? I think for me as a dad and as a leader, and I don't know about you, Justin, but I, I I just often feel the desire inside of me to help bring out the best in those around me. And I think that's important. I think we're, we really need to work to bring out the best in our kids. And so there's disciplining and there's exhorting and there's teaching and all of that. And those things are really important. But sometimes our motivations as dads can be really suspect there because we're actually trying to live vicariously through our kids, right? And which can be very, very dangerous, creating a pressurized situation where the kids think that their sense of value is based on how well they perform according to what it is that dad wants. And so then they can spend the rest of their life looking for approval 
by trying to do the things that dad would be happy about. When in fact, what I think the two most important things are that a father brings to the table is first, just straight up unconditional love and affection and affirmation. So when we come to our kids and we're just we want to constantly be telling them, we love you, we affirm you, we think you're awesome, you know, and that that is beyond just parenting. That is leadership. A big part of leadership is just letting the people who you uh, lead and who you serve know that you care about them, that you affirm them, that you see them, and that they have value as such an important part of leadership and of fathering. The second thing is that there needs to be authority and authority is about creating that space where people can feel safe and feel protected and feel provided for, you know, and uh, kids flourish when they have that sense of safety, when they're not worried about where they're going to get their next meal, when they're not worried about what's going to happen to them, the more free they feel in that space. Uh, the better it is. And I don't think there's any kind of authority that's more important than spiritual authority, creating a place of spiritual safety and protection. And again, we could talk about that for kids, but I think that's equally as important in any roles of spiritual leadership is that we we actually need to walk in authority. When we weak knee it and we don't come with authority and we don't have confidence in who God is and how he's taking care of us, then it creates a place of insecurity where it's not only a challenge for, for the individuals we lead, but it can create cultures where uh, when there isn't a clear sense of authority, it can create chaos inside the family. Could you expand a little bit more about that dynamic of how we tend to get our value from either our kids or from our congregants or the people that we lead? Yeah. So this is interesting because Jesus, if you remember at one point, he names to the religious leaders that uh, they they claim Abraham as their father. And he's like, but Abraham's not your father. Your father is Satan. And you're like, wow, that is harsh, you know? Dude, and, Jesus, take a chill pill. I mean, what are you yeah, doing right, here? Right. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty rugged. It was very direct. But what he's saying is you can tell essentially by your spirit, by the way you're living, how you've been fathered. And so we we think of that as a slam where he's just saying, like, you sons of Satan, you know, and he's just like taking out his anger on them or whatever. But this is more about Jesus, I believe, saying, hey, you can tell who a person's parent is based on how they're living. If the parent is secure in who they are, then they're going to create an environment that allows the child to be secure in who they are. And uh, Satan is one who's constantly antagonizing. He's constantly saying, you haven't done enough. And what are you going to do about this? Or, hey, you should really do it. And there's all this like instigating that's happening from Satan, which has people running around trying to prove things. Whereas with the everlasting father, he is very secure in who he is. And he doesn't need his children to accomplish all sorts of things in order for him to feel okay about himself so that he can brag on his kids. As a leader, if I feel the need to prove things to other people about my leadership 
by watching those who I'm called to lead be successful, then I'm going to put a lot of pressure on those I lead in order to be successful in whatever metrics I think would look good to other people. But that's really about my own insecurity. And then what that creates is in those who are following me, then they are also trying to get their own sense of legitimacy by how well they perform for me. Then it becomes a codependent problem in those relationships rooted in a performance-based legitimacy, which is never going to be completed. We're never going to feel good enough about what we're accomplishing in order. All right, everybody, everybody's ego is completely stroked at this point and everybody feels great. And the reason that'll never work is because all of those comparisons are based on one another. So as soon as one person succeeds, it raises the ante for everyone. And now everyone has to do more. And it's this cycle of the more one person accomplishes, they feel good because they're set apart from the pack. And now everyone else has to do the same in order to raise it up. And it's an endless cycle of never feeling legitimate. That's a very a whole different thing when it comes to God, who's very secure in who he is and is not impressed by the things that we can accomplish. The things that he asks us to do, he's never asking us to do them so that he can feel better about himself. Yeah, I remember you saying before, Tim, that God is not a great parent because his kids are so awesome, because we're so awesome, but he's a good parent because he responds with strength and truth and love, even when his kids are horrible. Like, that's what makes him a good parent. This is an interesting thing, Justin, because I don't know if you've struggled with this ever as a pastor of a church, but, you know, there's the qualifications for elders, and part of that has to do with your household? Do you manage your household well? I remember at one point we had an elder at a church I was serving who he was a phenomenal father, just a, he a great dad. And a couple of his kids were really struggling, going through stuff. And they were adult kids. They were independent. They were doing their own thing. And at one point he came to me and he said, I think I need to step off the elder team. Um, and I was like, why is that? And he said, you know, cause my kids are struggling with this and this. He's like, I just don't feel qualified to be an elder anymore. And I, I said, listen, um, if, if what you're telling me is you don't have time to be an elder because you need to go attend to stuff with your kids, I totally get that. But if you're saying you're disqualified from being an elder because you have kids that are struggling with stuff, then is God still qualified to be God since he is also a father of those same kids? The thing that was amazing about this man is while his kids were struggling, he was patient, he was faithful. And he was constantly working redemptively to bring them back to the place of the Lord. And this is who God is. He's so good with us in the midst of our brokenness. He's patient and he's persistent and he's always got his eye on the prize. In the scriptural story that we looked at today, Zachariah had the struggle of feeling like he was a disappointment to himself, to his wife, to God, so much so that even when God wanted to bless him, he couldn't receive it. If you struggle to feel like you've done enough to prove your value, if you struggle to feel like you actually have a purpose and you struggle to feel legitimate with God and with other people, I'm going to read for you from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman and born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights of sons. This is the thing 
is that it took nine months of Zachariah being quiet for him to come to terms with the fact that whatever was happening or wasn't happening in his life had to do with things a whole lot bigger than him. But the fact that God loved him was not contingent on how well he was performing, how many kids he had, how much of an impact he was making. And I want to remind us today that we have an everlasting father who wants to be with us, who always loves us, who provides for us, and who is willing to protect us. Our job is not to try to impress God. He won't be impressed. What our job is, is to enjoy the relationship with our everlasting Father that's been offered to us. Let's get more and more quality time with the Father. And the things that He puts on our hearts and the things that He asks us to do, we shouldn't do them in order to try to win His favor. He already loves us. We should trust Him because we know how much He loves us. And so we yield to and submit to what He says because we know that He's good. And there's no place that we need love more than from the Father who already loves us. Today, remember in this Christmas season that you have a Father who loves you for all of eternity.